You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to New York. The Devil's Devil's State State of Mind Mind Podcast, Podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! Woo! What is going on, Devils fans? It is always your host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get everything you need to know about your new Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day as always, wherever you're listening to these podcast episodes. Thank you guys, as always, for making time out of your day to check these episodes out and listen to them. I really do appreciate it. The biggest favor I can ask you guys right now is to simply, you know, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a five-star rating and give us, you know, a compliment. It really does help out the podcast. It really, we're trying to continue to build this podcast, get more people to listen to it, grow it, not only grow the Double State of Mind podcast, but also grow the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole, because not only do I obviously want to continue to build this podcast and and really make it something big, but I also want really to make the Hockey Podcast Network continue to be the place to get everything you need to know about your favorite hockey team. Um, But again, thank you guys so much for taking some time out of your day to listen to these episodes. I really, really do appreciate it. This episode and everything that we do here at the Hockey Podcast Network are sponsored by the awesome people at DraftKings Sportsbook. When you sign up for DraftKings, make sure to use our promo code when you sign up, THPN. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, we have a lot to talk about here in the Devil's State of Mind podcast. We have um, some obviously some great news. We have some interesting news. We have uh, a frustrating game that the Devils played against the New York Islanders. And then we're going to, and I hate kind of finishing the episode on a low note, but we do have a pretty uh, horrific story to kind of talk about. And I feel like 
I needed to talk about it because, you know, here on the Devil State of My podcast, obviously I try to keep it, you know, for the most part, mainly about, you know, hockey and obviously the Devils, but also things when they involve the Devils or even something as serious as what we experienced with um, the Chicago Blackhawks scandal. I like to bring it to attention. I like to give my own opinion because I know that there are a lot of people out there that'll talk about it. And in something like this, it does involve a former New Jersey devil. Um, and I think that some of you probably know where I'm going with it, but if you don't stay till the end and I will bring up that story. But like I said before, we always have a lot to talk about here on the devil state of mind podcast. So let's not waste any more time and get rolling. So we'll kick things off with obviously the biggest, uh, most positive news that we got in the last couple of days. Uh, back on Thursday night, uh, the NHL announced that they were going to announce the rosters um, for the 2021 NHL All-Star Game. And I think that obviously there was a lot of question marks as to who would make it for the Devils. I think that a lot of us felt like, well, it could be Jack Hughes. It could be Jesper Brett. It could be Nico Heischer, you know. Who exactly was going to make it uh, for this team? I also just want to say this really quickly. Um, ESPN said that they were going to announce the all-star participants. They were going to announce the um, the rosters um, at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, on SportsCenter, I believe. And, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to call it like it is. Um they did not do that. As a matter of fact, they didn't announce the rosters until I want to say about 6.50. So I'm sure that was probably by design that they wanted to get us hockey fans to sit there throughout basically the whole hour of SportsCenter to kind of, you know, tell us what was, you know, who was going to be there. It, it was for effect to get more people to watch SportsCenter. So I, I don't necessarily uh get annoyed by that that much because I understand the point of it, but still it's very annoying because I, I saw a lot of Devils fans and just a lot of hockey fans in general saying, I'm sitting here watching SportsCenter and all they're talking about is football or basketball. They haven't even gotten close to mentioning it. And I don't even think they even announced um, that they were going to talk about it until they went to their last commercial break before the end of the hour saying, coming up on SportsCenter, we're going to announce this. And it was kind of it, it, it definitely was a little bit annoying, but they eventually did get to it. And when they got to the Metropolitan Division, they did announce that Jack Hughes is going to be the Devils participant in the 2022 NHL All-Star Game, which will be in Vegas. Um, let's see here. Uh, the, the game will be on February uh, 5th on ABC, simulcast on ESPN Plus at 3 p.m. Eastern, with the skills competition taking place the day before on Friday, February 4th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on, on ESPN. And like I mentioned before, both events will be held at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. So the NHL, I'm sure, is excited to be hosting the NHL All-Star Game in a very, very big popular city like Las Vegas. But yes, Jack Hughes was just named to his first NHL All-Star Game. It's, the hope is, is that this is the first of many. Um, I will just say this right off the bat. First of all, I do not want to knock Jack Hughes because Jack Hughes is a phenomenal player. He's going to be a superstar talent. He's going to help this Devils team long-term, and it's great. 
But I do feel that he got in somewhat because of marketability. I think that's why a handful of players got in. Not everybody, because there's obviously also a lot of guys that have done very, very well and rightfully deserve to be in here. But I do feel that there was a little bit of the whole thing of, well, we need to make sure we have guys that are marketable, that that a lot of even non-diehard hockey fans know about that can get into the All-Star game so that we can promote the sport. So in a way, I get why Jack Hughes, because he's the face of USA Hockey right now, or he's going to eventually become the face of USA Hockey. He's a star in the making, and it makes the most amount of sense. And I guess just when you look at it, the only other player you could consider to be a marketable player is P.K. Subban, but are they really going to put P.K. Subban in over some of the other guys on this Devils team? I highly doubt it, but Jack Hughes was announced uh, through 20 games so far this year. Jack Hughes has nine goals, 11 assists for 20 points. So, I mean, and again, remember, he was out for a while with a shoulder injury, and, but he's continued to play very, very well, getting back to the level that he was at at the beginning of the year. So it's good to see him continuing to pick it up and definitely showcasing more and more why he should be in the all-star game but while we are on this subject i thought it would be appropriate for me to just uh go through the rosters and kind of you know so in case you don't know who's going to be in it here are going to be the rosters at least for now for the 2022 nhl all-star game so we'll start with the atlantic division the head coach is going to be andrew burnett who is the interim head coach for the florida panthers he took over after joel quenville had to uh you know, obviously step away because of the whole thing with the Blackhawks scandal. But Andrew Burnett has done a really fantastic job with the Florida Panthers, obviously continuing to help them play at the level that they were playing at while um, Quinville was uh, was a head coach. So he will be the head coach for the Atlantic Division. The captain, not really a surprise. It's going to be the American phenom Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So here is the rest of the roster. And I'll probably just mention Austin Matthews again, just, you know, just because I have it in order here. But here is the roster for the Atlantic Division. You have Patrice Bergeron of the Boston Bruins, Rasmus Dahlin of the Buffalo Sabres, Dylan Larkin of the Detroit Red Wings, Jonathan Huberto of the Florida Panthers, Nick Suzuki of the Montreal Canadiens, Drake Batherson, the Ottawa Senators, and Andre Vasilevsky, the goaltender for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Victor Hedman, a defenseman for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Austin Matthews from the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Jack Campbell from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So the Tampa Bay Lightning and Toronto Maple Leafs both will have two, at least for now, two participants um, in the All-Star game. Um, And also, I will mention this now. I was going to mention it in a few minutes, but I'll just mention it now. Uh, The NHL also announced that there is what they call the last man um, voting. So basically what they're doing is that they're giving one player from each team in each division Uh, You get the opportunity to vote for them 10 times per day until January 17th, which will be this Monday when you're listening to this, uh, January 17th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to vote that player in to give them a chance to get in as the last man for each uh, division. So there will be one more player added on to each of these divisions for it. So that's why I said, at least for now, the Maple Leafs and Lightning have two players. So there's a potential that they could have three players if their last man gets in. So the last men in last men in candidates uh, for the Atlantic Division are Charlie McAvoy of the Bruins, Tage Thompson of the Sabres, the brother of Tice Thompson of the New Jersey Devils, Lucas Raymond, the guy who right now is the front runner, in my opinion, for Rookie of the Year, 
for the Detroit Red Wings, Alexander Barkov of the Florida Panthers, Tyler Toffoli of the Canadians, even though he's been on IR of late, Brady Kachuk of the Ottawa Senators, Steven Stamkos for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and John Tavares for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I've been voting for Barkov because I think he's still one of the most underrated players in the NHL and deserves to be recognized as an all-star. But I think most likely because it is a popularity contest, I think most likely it's going to be Stamkos or John Tavares coming out of there. So that is the Atlantic Division. The Metropolitan Division, uh, the head coach will be Rob Brindamore of the Carolina Hurricanes. Makes a ton of sense with what he's done with this Carolina team being absolutely phenomenal since the season started. The captain, not a surprise, Alexander Ovechkin. And here is the roster for the Metropolitan Division. Frederick Anderson, goaltender for the Carolina Hurricanes. Been phenomenal this year, showcasing why he's still a number one goaltender, 18-5-0 on the year. Sebastian Ajo as well from the Hurricanes. Zach Rowenski for the Columbus Blue Jackets. As I mentioned before, Jack Hughes representing the New Jersey Devils. Adam Pellick. Uh, who just um, who just scored his first goal of the season against the Devils, um, is going to be the all-star representative for the New York Islanders. Adam Fox for the Rangers. Chris Kreider as well for the Rangers. Claude Giroux for the Philadelphia Flyers. Tristan Jari from the Pittsburgh Penguins. And like I mentioned before, Alexander Ovechkin from the Washington Capitals. For the last men in candidates, and this is important, Devils fans, Andrei Shvetsnikov for the Carolina Hurricanes, Jakub Borchek from the Blue Jackets, Jesper Bratt for the Devils, Matthew Barzell for the Islanders, Mika Zibanejad for the Rangers, Cam Atkinson for the Flyers, Jake Gensel for the Penguins, and Evgeny Kuznetsov for the Washington Capitals. Jesper Bratt, at the time of this recording, 34 games, 10 goals, 22 assists, 32 points. Again, you have until Monday, the 17th of January at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to vote 10 times you, you have a chance about you you vote 10 times a day you could just you know keep saying vote again vote again vote again you're good so devils fans if you want to see the devils have jesper brett as well join jack hughes in the all-star game make sure you go to nhl.com slash last man in vote vote for whoever you want in the other divisions don't really care who who you vote for um and then make sure you vote jesper brett 10 times a day and get him into the all-star game where he definitely does deserve it. I still think it'll end up being someone like Mika Sabanajad or Evgeny Kuznetsov because of popularity. Also, I think Matt Barzell definitely is up there, Shvechnikov. But it would be really cool if Jesper Brett ends up being the one going. We're on to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with a huge boost for new customers. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you could still get in on all the action on this divisional round. Everyone can play for huge cash prices with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN for 56 to 1 odds on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
So now we'll shift over to the Central Division, which is going to be coached by the Colorado Avalanche head coach, Jared uh, Bednar. The captain will be his captain, Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. The Avalanche are definitely well represented in the Central Division. The roster is Clayton Keller of the Arizona Coyotes. I think that makes a lot of sense. Alex DeBrinkett of the Chicago Blackhawks. Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. Kale McCarr as well from the Abs. Joe Pavelski from the Dallas Stars. Kirill the Thrill Kaprizov from the Minnesota Wild. Cam Talbot as well for the Wild. UC Soros, kind of a surprise, a little bit, uh, from the Nashville Predators. Jordan Cairo, phenomenal, phenomenal season so far for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, and then Kyle Connor for the Winnipeg Jets. The last men in candidates are Phil Kessel from the Coyotes, Seth Jones from the Blackhawks, Nazem Kadri from the Avalanche, Jason Robertson from the Stars, Ryan Hartman from the Minnesota Wild, Roman Yossi from the Nashville Predators, Robert Thomas for the Blues, and Mark Scheifele for the Jets. So it looks like Patrick Kane won't even get an opportunity to be in the All-Star game, which is somewhat of a surprise, but it is what it is. And finally, we have the Pacific Division, which is going to be coached by former New Jersey Devils head coach Pete DeBoer of the Vegas Golden Knights. The captain, not a surprise, Connor McDavid. Um, and then the roster is John Gibson from Anaheim, Johnny Gaudreau, the New Jersey native from the Calgary Flames, Connor McDavid, like I mentioned, Leon Dreisaitl from Edmonton as well, Adrian Kempe from the Los Angeles Kings, Timo Meyer from the San Jose Sharks, Jordan Eberle will be the first ever Seattle Kraken. To make the all-star game, he'll represent Seattle, Thatcher Demko from the Vancouver Canucks, and then Alex Petrangelo and Mark Stone from the Vegas Golden Knights. And the last men in candidates for the Pacific Division are the following. Troy Terry from the Anaheim Ducks, Matthew Kachuk from the Calgary Flames, Darnell Nurse from the Edmonton Oilers, Drew Doughty from the Los Angeles Kings, Logan Couture from the San Jose Sharks, Mark Giordano from the Kraken, JT Miller from the Canucks, and Jonathan Marcheseau for the Vegas Golden Knights. So that is the rosters for the 2022 NHL All-Star Game. And I also listed off the last men in candidates one last time. You have until Monday, January 17th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to vote 10 times per day to vote in one more player to get in for each of the rosters. So there is going to be four more players that are going to be getting in by the time we reach to Tuesday of this week. So we shall see. But from Devil's perspective, make sure you go and vote just for Brett to get him the chance to be the last man in representing the Metropolitan Division and be the second New Jersey Devil player to be in this year's All-Star Game. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about involves the Devils and involves some news that we got prior to Thursday's game against the New York Islanders. So in the last episode, like I mentioned, I went through a list of some realistic and unrealistic candidates for the Devils goaltending position because when we were talking about it in the last episode, uh, Blackwood and Akira Schmidt were both going to go on the COVID protocol and that they would not be available for Thursday's game. So the question was, what were the Devils going to do about their backup goalie position? And uh, Lindy Ruff spoke to the media on Wednesday, and he said that it was very much likely that the Devils were going to have somebody with absolutely no NHL experience being the backup 
uh, for John Gillies. And the only things that we could come up with were one of two options. Merrick's Mittens, who currently is with uh, Utica, was one, but uh, Utica said basically that Merrick's Mittens wasn't going anywhere. There was They weren't uh, told that Mittens was going to be uh, brought up. So that was out the window. So the only thing that we could come up with at this point was basically like a David Ayer situation where the Devils were going to have to call up an emergency backup or e-bug as they call them, uh, to be the backup. Uh, did I think that we were going to be in a position where the e-bug had to play? No, but still, it pretty much looked like that was going to be the case. And then we got news at around 3.30 in the afternoon on Thursday. So even by the time we got to 1 o'clock, uh, there was still no word as to what the Devils were going to do with their backup goalie position. The Devils had, did not do a morning skate prior to the Thursday's game against the Islanders, so we had no idea what was going to happen. But on Thursday afternoon, the Devils did announce that they had signed Kyle Shapiro to an ATO, which I believe is an amateur tryout contract. Um, they, they signed him to an ATO contract, and he would be the backup for John Gillies in this game against the Islanders. Now, here is where it gets interesting because you're always curious, especially with emergency backups, you know, where do they come from? You know, how they get into this position? Well, the first thing is that Shapiro is from Ocean, New Jersey, which is it, which is not even that far away. It's like 15 minutes or so from my house. So he is very much a local, local guy, which is absolutely phenomenal. He has played goalie for Christian Brothers Academy or CBA, if people are from this area. The New Jersey Hitmen, which is a junior team. The Walpole Express, which I believe is also a junior team. University of Southern Maine and New England College. And he is currently an assistant coach for the junior New Jersey Titans, who play not far from where I am. So uh, we also did get word that Shapiro has been the Devils emergency backup goaltender for a while. Um, and this is just the first time the Devils have had to do this. So we got word. A lot of us tried to get information as best as we could. And that was the situation. And Shapiro talked about he's had a couple practices with the team, Lindy Ruff. And, he, and the funny thing for Lindy Ruff was um, when he spoke to the media at around five o'clock prior to the game, he said straight up, he's like, I'm not joking with you guys. He actually looked pretty good in practice, you know, going up against NHL players. So I'm not saying that the Devils were in a good position that if Shapiro had to play, the Devils would be okay. But it was definitely, it definitely seemed like Lindy Ruff was pretty competent with Shapiro being the backup goaltender. But it, it was definitely a really, really awesome thing that the Devils got to do this. Uh, we were all hoping that, not to say any disrespect to Kyle, we were just hoping that Gillies would be fine, he wouldn't get hurt, and he would just play the, the whole game and it would be fine. Um, but what was so cool is that Shapiro said that he got to hang out with the team, he got to go out to dinner with Nico Heischer and the rest of the guys, like they really made him a part of the Devils team, even though he was only here for a couple of days. And I think that's very, very cool. And I definitely think I'm going to try to reach out to Kyle to have him come on the Devil's State of Mind podcast and talk about that a little bit more. Um, would, would definitely like to get his insight. And I'm sure you guys would love to hear me talk to him as well. But Shapiro actually got, you know, that classic rookie, you know, first lap and warm-ups where, you know, when you make your NHL debut, you go around the ice one time by yourself. That's what, uh, that's what he did. And P.K. Subban told Shapiro to skate around with no helmet. So he actually went around uh, and did a lap 
without a helmet on. It was a very cool experience. I think Kyle said he had a bunch of his family at the game, which was great because, you know, it was, it was in New York. Uh, I was on the island. So it was definitely an easy commute for a lot of them. Uh, and Shapiro just said he was just super excited to be there and have the opportunity to be in an NHL game. Uh, well, obviously he didn't play, but to be on an NHL team for a day, uh, I think that was really, really cool. So that was kind of the news. So we finally got answers and uh, Kyle Shapiro ended up being the backup goaltender for John Gillies. And now we'll shift into the third segment of our episode today. And it is going to be talking about the Devils game against the Islanders on Thursday. So the Devils were coming into this game uh, and this was the only game until next Wednesday. So right now the Devils have nearly a week off before their next game, which will be a Wednesday against the Arizona Coyotes again, because the next two games, which I believe was Saturday, and then it would have been Monday. Uh, they were both postponed because they, I believe they were both in Canada against Montreal and Toronto. They had to be postponed due to COVID. So those games will be played at a later date. So again, this was also the devil's only game for after the game against uh, Columbus was the only game for the next like 10 days. So we definitely had a long period now well, we haven't seen the Devils play. And granted, we saw that last year when the Devils were off for two weeks, a little more than two weeks because of COVID. So we've kind of gotten used to the fact that there's going to be times where the Devils don't have a game for a while because of COVID. But like I mentioned before, the Devils next game will be against the Arizona Coyotes. So I won't have to do an episode without talking about a game, which is which is good. Uh, the Devils got a little bit healthier in the lineup departments with uh, Andreas Johnson, uh, Nate Bastian, Sharon Govich, and Pavel Zaka all returning from COVID isolation. So that was really good that we got a bunch of guys back. And also, I will say this. The good news is, is that with this break, you know, and not playing again till Wednesday, the Devils will have some time to get some other guys back from the COVID list because if they are asymptomatic, they're only out for about five days. So the hope is, is that by the time we get to Wednesday's game, the Devils are, are, are much healthier than they were when they, even when they took on the New York Islanders. For the Islanders, this was their first game since January 1st, as they've had three or four games in that interim be postponed due to COVID. So the Islanders were coming in playing in just their second game of the calendar year of 2022. Barry Trotz wasn't even available because he got put on the COVID list, so their assistant coach had to take over. Um but so it was going to be interesting to see how both teams would come out. Having not played for a while, the Islanders definitely a lot, a lot more days waiting than the, uh, than the Devils. Uh, but both teams came out and, and really were firing on all cylinders, so to speak. The Islanders had two breakaway opportunities with uh, Casey Sezikis and Anthony Beauvillier getting some opportunities. But John Gillies, who I honestly will say, Despite all of the criticism I've given him because I've called him a fringe backup goaltender, he actually was pretty good. And he really wasn't the reason the Devils uh, struggled in this game at times, especially defensively. He did what he could, made some really, really good saves where it looked like the Islanders were definitely going to score. But again, Gilly stopped both of those breakaway opportunities. And eventually, the Devils finally were able to draw first blood in this game, 943 into it, where P.K. Subban was uh, was back in the double zone on the right side uh, to the right of John Gillies. Makes a long cross-ice pass over to Sharon Govich, who comes down the left side with speed. He kind of gets it to his backhand, deeks it over to his um, to his forehand as a defenseman was trying to knock the puck off his, uh, his stick. He got it to his forehand, took a wrist shot through a little bit of a screen from a defenseman. It goes under the arm of Sorokin and slowly trickles behind him into the net. And the Devils grab 
the one nothing lead. Sharon Govich coming right off the COVID list, getting himself a goal. He's starting to slowly more and more pick up his game, which I think is great. He's definitely a guy that I can see getting to 15. Maybe if he really gets on a hot streak, could get to 20 goals. And I think for a guy who had so much, who, who came out of nowhere last year, um, definitely is progressing more and more this year, uh, especially over the last uh, fifth, you know, five, 10 games. And it's really, really great to see. And what's also great to see is the Devils grabbing a one nothing lead. And then the Devils just continued to fire pucks at the net. They really were, they had a couple chances, including Jimmy Vesey all alone in the slot, going from his uh, forehand to his backhand, trying to beat Sorokin top shelf over his glove side, uh, but just missed. The Devils definitely were on a mission to try to get that next goal and go up by two. But Sorokin made some good saves to kind of keep the Devils um, from scoring. And then we got to about the final minute of the period where the Devils were killing off their second penalty of the game and of that period. And the Islanders took a shot. It was stopped by Gillies, but it went over to Josh Bailey, who was wide open, uncovered, with the puck just standing right there. He was able to knock it in on a rebound to tie the game up, getting just his second goal of the year, which is kind of frustrating um, from the Devils' perspective. Um, but nonetheless, the Devils did cover up that goal and uh, the Islanders were able to tie the game up at one. And that's where we stood at the end of the first period. I would just say this, the second period for pretty much the most of it, the Devils did not play well. The Islanders really dictated the pace. They used some of their speed. They were creating a lot of really good opportunities. John Gillies, uh, like a lot of Devils goaltenders have been having to do, uh, was making a lot of saves just to keep the Islanders from scoring. But with 10.38 uh, to go in the second period, uh, Adam Pellick, who just got named an all-star, took a shot that hit the inside left leg knee area of Ryan Graves, hit the ice and bounced up under the legs of Zach Parise, over the glove of Gillies and into the back of the net. And the Islanders were able to get their first lead tonight, making it 2-1. to one. Adam Pellick getting his first goal of the year. And it was just such a weird goal. But then again, I've been... We've all been kind of used to seeing the Devils give up weird goals this year and have this stuff happen. Uh, it was a frustrating goal to give up. But again, the Islanders were playing so well in that second period that they did deserve to get a goal. And they did get Adam Pellick showing why he was named an all-star, got himself that goal first of the year. And the Islanders grabbing a two-to-one lead. And that's where things stood after 40 minutes of play. So you kind of looked at it after 40 minutes and said, all right, you're only down two to one. You had a really bad second period, but the Devils have been known to be a very good third period team, which we've seen time and time again. So I felt pretty confident that the Devils would be able to get back in this one in the third period. And the Devils certainly did make a push in that third period, firing shots at the net, Sorokin continuing to stay strong there. And then the Devils eventually with about, about halfway through, the yeah, exactly halfway through, the uh, the third period, the Devils got the power got on the power play, and again the Devils power play has gotten better, but it's still it, it's still been ineffective um, most of the time. But with 9:35 to go and the Devils still on the power play, Nico Kishir fakes the slap shot on the left uh, faceoff circle, gives it off to the top of the blue line to Ty Smith, who one times a shot that is deflected by Nate Bastion, and it slowly trickles past Sorokin and into the net. And the Devils tie the game up at two, scoring on the power play. I do want to give credit where credit is due to Mark Recchi for deciding to stick Nate Bastion on the power play 
for a while, I didn't really see the point, but you've seen, I think Bastion's gotten two or three of his goals on the power play by standing in front of net, being that big body presence. And it's been working so far. So I want to give Mark Recchi credit for that. Um, but the Devils were able to tie the game up at two. And you felt like at that moment, you said, okay, the way that I look at it is this. I think most likely the Devils will probably have to have this game go to overtime. I didn't feel like the Devils were going to score again in that period because of just the way the game was going, but you never know what could happen. But I felt really confident at that point that the Devils were going to find a way to at least get a point in this game, if not win it. I felt pretty confident that they would still win this game because, again, the way that they've had so much success in third periods and being such a good third period team, you kind of liked your chances. However, with 4.53 to go, so a little less than five minutes to go in the game, Matt Barzell comes down the right side. He holds it, drops it off to Josh Bailey, and then Barzell kind of does a circle round where he gets right into the middle of the, of the slot. Nobody's covering him. Bailey feeds Barzell, takes a one-time slap shot that goes top shelf over the glove side of John Gillies and into the net. And the Islanders regain the lead at 3-2 to two with 4.53 to go in this one. And even though the Devils pushed after that, uh, you definitely felt like that was the back-breaking goal. And that ended up being the deciding factor as the Devils unfortunately did dro drop this one by the score of 3-2. And I think it's frustrating from this standpoint. I will say this. We know that the Devils have been super competitive of late, like really battling. They haven't gotten blown out especially when you look at so much of the guys being out in the adversity, you would think that we would just be, you know, getting beat up left and right, but the devils have been super competitive. And I think the frustrating thing about it is that we constantly say, yeah, if we were healthy and we were playing like this, we'd be winning these games. We wouldn't be losing close games like this. And I do agree with that. And that's where it gets frustrating because again, the devils are still very much in the thick of things and it's so unbelievably upsetting that several of our main guys are are hurt or on covid and we're we're just not able to have enough it feels like last year where we're we're looking at it like uh we need this we need that we're out with some guys and it, it's it's incredibly frustrating um but you got to give credit to the devils for continuing to fight i want to see this throughout the rest of the season because once the Devils start getting some guys back off COVID and things like that, um, I feel like they're going to start winning some of these games and getting momentum. And look, their next game is against the lonely Arizona Coyotes, who shockingly did win earlier this week against the Toronto Maple Leafs on national TV. Um, but this is still a, a pretty weak um, Coyotes team. And the Devils should win that game, especially because it's at home. So the hope is, is that the Devils can rest recover with getting guys back, regroup, and start with that game against Arizona and try to get something going. We haven't gotten a four-game winning streak since, like, I think, like, 2018, 2019. Uh, so we definitely need to get on some sort of streak like that if you want to get really, really going and get yourself back into the back into the thick of things. I know I said that they were in the thick of things, but really get back into the thick of things. They got to get on some streak. But hopefully with another rest of a couple days and things like that, the Devils – will be okay. With that loss, the Devils did drop to 14, 18, and 5, still with 33 points. The Islanders, and this also includes their loss yesterday or Saturday against the Washington Capitals, their record currently is 11, 13, and 6 with 28 points. The Islanders still have a long ways to go um, as they try to get back in the race. Uh, the Devils did get some more good news uh, on Saturday. 
uh, as Jesper Brett and Damon Severson both return to practice. So the Devils already are starting to get healthier. Meanwhile, uh, AJ Greer, who played in the game, who's played in the last couple of games due to, you know, needing bodies, uh, he got hurt when he got hit by Johnston um, in the Islanders game. Uh, Lindy Ruff said that it, he's okay, but you know, it's the injury's not great. It, it's not good. Um, he did not uh, practice yesterday and it looks like he's going to be out long-term. So even though AJ Greer is not part of the devil's main core, it just sucks to get another guy that's going to be on IR for quite some time. So that's just another body that we don't have. And I know that AJ Greer is not necessarily making major contributions, but the whole frustration is just simply about the fact of having guys keep getting out left and right. Um, but again, like I said before, the hope is, is that by the time we get to Wednesday's game, the Devils are a lot healthier and they are a much more at full strength, not completely full strength. They're never going to be at full strength, but be much more closer to full strength um, for that game. So the last thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about is a very, is a touchy subject. It's something that's uh, definitely, I don't want to say it's inappropriate, but um, I will say this. Uh, I say, I want to read this with absolute caution that uh, this article that I got in the news and the information I got uh, is, is somewhat graphic. Um, so I do apologize, but it, it's something that I feel like I needed to talk about because it does involve a former devil. And usually when news like this comes out or just news with former devils in general, I do want to talk about it. So it, it involves, uh, it involves Reed Boucher for a lot of you, for some of you younger devils fans, you may, may not remember Reed Boucher, but for some of us, you, you, you know, you remember Reed Boucher as a guy that he broke uh, Steven Stamkos junior record of most goals in the junior season, which was like 56 goals. He was a mid round draft pick by the devils. Uh, he was a guy that looked like he was going to be an absolute steal. And I remember when he first came up with the Devils, he was scoring a couple goals here and there. He, you know, he scored the first Devils shootout goal in what seemed like two years. I mean, it was phenomenal. He really had the makings at, at first to be something. Um, but whether you want to say it was because of the Devils, you know, system, so to speak, with constantly taking scoring guys and making them uh, not be as good as they once were, or whatever the case, uh, Reed Boucher did not do uh, enough in New Jersey to stay around long term. He continued to play a little bit in the NHL. He eventually uh, was with the Vancouver Canucks. And then recently, he ended up going overseas to the KHL. But that's not the point of the story. The story goes like this. On Saturday, we got word that former NHL and former New Jersey Devils player Reed Boucher has pleaded guilty to a sex crime of involving a minor. Boucher, who is currently playing in the Continental Hockey League or the KHL in Russia, was originally charged with first-degree criminal sexual conduct, which carries a 25-year-to-life sentence for a string of transgressions that occurred in 2011 when Boucher was living with a Billet family in Michigan while part of USA Hockey's National Team Development Program. For those of you that want to know really quickly what a Billet family is, I'll explain it this way. Basically, what happens is that in a lot of these junior programs, you know, junior hockey, 
Uh, a lot of these players are not from the area. Uh, sometimes they're not even from this country. So what happens is that there are families that, uh, out of the kindness of their heart, and yes, they do get compensation for it, but also out of the kindness of their heart, they allow one or two of these players to stay with them in their house while the season's going on and everything like that, and just have a place to stay instead of staying in like a hotel or something like that. I know this because I broadcasted for a couple of junior hockey teams over the last couple of years, and there have been players who have come from different states, different countries, and have experienced this. This is something that goes on throughout junior hockey all the time. So this is nothing that is uncommon in the hockey world. Uh, this past December, however, Boucher pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of third-degree criminal sexual conduct involving a sexual penetration with an individual between the ages of 13 and 16 years old. According to Darcy Moran of the Detroit Free Press, the judge, quote, agreed to let Boucher enter a plea for the lesser charge and agreed to sentence him with no upfront jail time through the Holmes Youthful Training Act, or HYTA. Under HYTA, the case won't appear on Boucher's public record if he successfully completes his sentence. So already, just a couple paragraphs into this article, this is one of those really sad cases where somebody was sexually assaulted, um, sexually harassed, and the law ends up leaning towards the person who who made these horrible acts and is allowing them to get off almost scot-free, you know, like a slap on the wrist, basically, for something that's absolutely horrific. Um, the article goes next to say the victim in this case, who was 12 years old at the time, if you know in the United States, it, you know, you got to be at least 18 for all this, you know, these crazy things. So think about it, 12 years old, 18, six-year difference. It's pretty, uh, pretty bad, um, says Boucher, who was 17 at the time. So that makes it even worse, doesn't it? Forced her into oral sex multiple times. On the first occasion, he threatened to release video footage of her dancing, then claimed he would publicize the first encounter to coerce her into a, sec a second assault. Oh, boy. The now 23-year-old woman who has suffered drug and alcohol abuse, among other awful repercussions over the 10 years it took her to feel comfortable enough to come forward, says she's been re-victimized during the process and was disgusted by judges' words and decisions. Uh, she said that, I feel like a lot of progress I've made over the last 10 years that's been undone, she told Moran. So obviously after hearing the judge's decision, she feels that her story and her experience uh, is not vindicated in that she basically, her voice was not heard. And this is what I'm talking about. And this unfortunately happened way more than it should, way more than it should. The Detroit Free Press story also claims that USA Hockey was contacted about said incident in 2011, but all it did was remove Boucher from that bill at home and put him in a new one. Think about that for a second. USA Hockey knew this happened, and they chose instead of get instead of doing the right thing and helping out this this young girl who was 12 years old at the time, be who got assaulted by a 17 year old. All of this is illegal in so many different ways. Instead of doing the right thing, and you know, basically telling the police and having this solved. 
All USA Hockey did was take Boucher and just put him somewhere else. And that just, again, goes with not just the way the hockey culture is, because we talked about it with the whole situation with the Blackhawks um, scandal. This is just, unfortunately, what happens in human, in, in, in human world. I mean, this happens so often. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do. No, there's so much that we can do. I mean, you could just do the right thing, have some integrity, and do what needs to be done. And get this, this, this kid, this, this boy, in tr- you know, you have to do the right thing. He has to suffer the consequences for doing something so unbelievably disgusting. I mean, this is horrible. And then you're threatening the young girl with video and things. Like, I mean, this is unbelievable. And did it not dawn on Boucher at all? It probably didn't. But did it not dawn on him at all? He's 17 at this time. So not only would she have gotten in trouble, he would have also still gotten in mad trouble at that time. I mean, this is what I'm talking. This is why it is so unbelievably disgusting. And once I read that USA Hockey basically did fuck all about it, it just, it's so ridiculous that this shit just keeps happening. And yes, I understand this happened 11 years ago and things have certainly developed a lot more to now because if this happened now, I think something would have actually happened. But still, for the judge to still be like, okay, we're not going to charge you with what you should be charged with, which is 25 to life sentence, which is exactly what this person needs to, uh, which I hate saying it, but Boucher needs to be, uh, charged with, we're going to charge you with the less, the, the, the least uh, big one where if you do a certain amount of service or whatever the hell they want you to do, then it won't go on your record. I mean, that is a joke. I mean, that is just such a joke. It's so unbelievably disgusting. According to the athletics, Katie Strang, shout out to Katie Strang. She is phenomenal at the athletics. She, she gets the information that we need and is very precise and tries to get us what we want to, what we really want to know. I, I, I think she's phenomenal. She says a USA hockey spokesperson had the following statement when asked for comment on the matter. Quote, in March of 2011, we spoke to parents of both minors and there were no accusations made, but Boucher was proactively removed from the bill at home. In March of 2021, we were notified by police of allegations of sexual misconduct and have fully cooperated with their investigation. Strength also reached out to former Devils and current New York Islanders general manager Lou Lamorello, who was at the helm when New Jersey used a fourth round pick to draft Boucher in the summer of 2011. Uh, Lou said, unequivocally, our organization did not know about this incident. Uh, Also saying that the team would not have drafted Boucher had he been aware of the incident. Uh, Boucher, who spent time with the Devils, Vancouver Canucks and Predators, is due back in court for sentencing on the 31st of January. So, I don't know what to say about from the devil's perspective. Um, It's hard for me not to want to believe that I think that people knew about it. Do I think Lou knew about it? Is there, the problem is, is that there just isn't a whole lot of evidence, but because we've seen these stories happen so often where things get covered up and people always say, oh, well, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. It's hard for me not to want to believe that I, that the devils did in fact know about it. I feel like maybe they actually did. And that pains me to say that as a devil's fan. But if I was a Chicago Blackhawks fan, I would be horrified 
I would be disgusted with the fact that my team did these things and then finding out that it was that they all knew about it. If this goes further along, which I think it will, especially because now it's out in the public. If I find out that the Devils knew about it, that Lou, Lim, that Lou Lamorello, one of the most respected general managers in hockey history and one of the most respected general managers in sports, knew about this and still drafted Boucher, he just lost so much credibility and so much respect in the hockey world and in, and in the world in general, it, it's just, it would just be absolutely horrific. It would be absolutely horrific. Um, but again, right now, the evidence that we have and the information that we have doesn't make it seem like that the devil's new. And of course, Lou's going to say, oh, if we knew this, would we draft him? No. But then again, then again, if you remember back in this past draft, Logan Malyu got drafted by Montreal, even though we knew exactly what he did. The Canadians still drafted him. So because of the good old boys network, because of the whole boys will be boys bullshit, um, people still get drafted. I mean, didn't the Coyotes draft the guy that harassed the black kid? And granted, I know that they ended up releasing him and all that, but still they did that. And I bet you that they knew that he did that. So this is just my point. So that's why I'm leaning more towards, I do believe that Lou and the Devils knew about it and still drafted him. Maybe they knew about it. Maybe they, you know, for all we know, they tried to get as much information as they could and USA Hockey, you know, gave them, you know, very little and everything like that. Maybe they asked Boucher about it if they interviewed him. I don't know. I'm only going off of the information that I've been given. So with all of this being said, I think that the right thing, I know what the right thing to do is. The right thing to do, if you are the judge, when, when Boucher goes back to court on the 31st, is to basically straight up give him, give him the full sentence. I'm sorry. I know, that's, I know that's crazy, but come on. For something like that, they're both underage. Forget about what, they're both underage. That is what makes this worse. This whole thing is just bad. And unfortunately, here's the thing. This is the thing. We only know about this because Boucher is a former NHL player and these stories happen because these guys are celebrities. But for every one of these that comes out in the public, there are like a hundred plus more that are out there that we will never know about because the people in question, you know, don't know somebody famous or anything like that. So my point is this. If you are in a position where you know that something like this has happened, regardless of status, regardless of anything, you need to do the right thing. And that is to tell people immediately. You need to let the people know and you should not allow them to just go, oh, we'll cover it up. No, because you need to have integrity. You need to have, to, I've said this before, all you have at the end of the day is your personal integrity. You need to have respect for yourself and for the people that are involved and say, I am going to do what's right, regardless of anything, regardless of my job or anything like that. Because if you do that, it will be way better. And you also, what you do is you help create a flip around to where this stuff with more people speaking out and letting, th letting these things um, be notified as soon as possible, you are putting people in a position where all of a sudden, they know that if they get, if, if somebody tells them, they're immediately going to get, uh, you know, repercussions for it. But for this to go on, for this to have happened over a decade ago, 
and people do nothing about it and people be notified of it and not doing anything about it just shows you the problem that we have in the hockey world and certainly the problem that we have in our society today not just here in the united states oh no oh no there's a lot of this shit going on in other countries that we don't know about to people that we don't know that are suffering day in and day out from the trauma of all of these horrific acts that are made by people. And the people that do this should be absolutely 100% ashamed of themselves that they, he or she made just such disgusting acts that they have to live with the rest of their lives, but they need to be punished for it. They shouldn't have to be one of these things where, oh, their greatest punishment is to have to deal with this the rest of their lives. No. You need to make examples of these people. You need to make this clear to the, to the entire world that this shit does not slide, that this shit should not happen. And I know that it will take a very long time, but these type of stories need to stop happening. Not just with us knowing about it because of media, but also just in general. This shit has to stop. It has to stop. It is absolutely disgusting that people get away with this shit all the time because they're worried about losing their job. They're worried about losing money. They're worried about this and everything. How about you worry about, you know, doing the right thing and just being a human being and, and doing and helping people? Because that's the best thing you could do in this world is to help others, is to make sure that this whole, these horrific acts do not happen anymore. So that's what I have to say about this. I am disgusted. I am appalled. I am... In, I'm embarrassed as just a fan of, of this, of the, org, of the, of the devils that we had somebody like this, that did this. And the, and to think that I was such a massive fan of this kid that I really believed that he was going to be the next star of this team. I'm glad that he has to go play in Russia because he's that bad. I'm glad that he has to go over there. And I'm hoping that when January 31st comes around, that Marie Boucher feels the full extent of the law and that the law does the right thing. The people who have the power, they need to do what is right. They need to do the right thing by this poor woman who has suffered for 10 years because of alcohol and drug abuse, because she's tried to move on from this and she can't. And if you take away the one chance that she has at this point to finally get some justice because you want to defend whatever the bullshit is, then you're the problem then you end up becoming part of the problem. And you need to look at somebody like this poor woman, look her in the eyes and see what she's gone through and realize to yourself, you know what? She suffered enough. No more. We should have we done something about this a decade ago. We're going to stop it now. We're going to make sure this doesn't happen. We're going to make sure that people understand that you have repercussions for horrific, disgusting, unbelievably inappropriate acts like this. This needs to stop. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that people put all of the bullshit aside, power, money, whatever, and just think about this from a human perspective and just decide that enough is enough. And that people like this who do horrific, unbelievably you know, disgusting acts like this need to be punished. And the hope is, is that doing something like that, giving this person the full extent of the law, will get out there and more people who have been through these horrific acts find the courage to come out and speak and get justice and get, you know, what they rightfully deserve 
for people who have ruined their lives. So that's what I want to say about that. I, I hate ending the episode on such a low, horrible note, but I needed to talk about this. I need to, I want to speak my voice about how awful this is. And I'm really hoping against hope that this gets resolved. So we shall see, but this shit cannot happen anymore.